0: Once reserved for computer programmers, cyber geeks, and people that wanted to buy drugs online, Bitcoin has transformed itself into a cryptocurrency with a total market value of over $179 billion. But many questions still remain that add to the mystery of the cryptocurrency. Who invented Bitcoin? How does it actually work? How much does a Bitcoin cost? And can I still buy drugs online with it? In this Fireside Chat, we're going to nerd out for a little while and do our best to explain what Bitcoin is and why it's making a push to become a legitimate alternative currency. We'll also dive into the history of Bitcoin and try to figure out who the heck this Satoshi Nakamoto guy is. So kick back and enjoy our latest installment of... all right as you know our fireside chats are usually pretty lighthearted and conversational but just to give fair warning some of the stuff we're going to discuss today is pretty technical in regards to computers and programming none of us are computer programmers but we are pretty familiar with bitcoin and we'll do our best to try to make it understandable and informational for everyone Uh, if you don't understand a certain term used don't worry it shouldn't take away anything from the story so first let's look at a brief history of bitcoin and who invented it all right who is satoshi nakamoto Satoshi Nakamoto is the name used by the presumed pseudonyms of a person or persons who developed Bitcoin, authored the Bitcoin white paper, and created and deployed Bitcoin's original reference implementation. White paper is an authoritative report or guide that informs readers about a complex issue and is meant to help readers understand, solve a problem, or make a decision. Reference implementation is the standard form for which all other implementations and customizations are derived. It'll demonstrate what should be the correct behavior of any implementation of it. In other words, it's the groundwork and the rules for how the software is supposed to run.
1: Yeah, it's like the little thing you get uh, in, uh, when you buy Monopoly. It's like the rule book, the little white piece of paper <laughs> at the top and tells you what's going on and how the game's supposed to be played. That's
0: pretty much what it is. Yeah, there you go. That's the uh, reference implementation. There you go. Nice. I'm
1: going to implement your ass uh, on <laughs> Monopoly, Park Avenue.
0: What character or what uh, figure did you use in Monopoly?
1: Always, I tr- I always wanted the race car, but everybody wanted the race car. Of course. I a lot of times ended up with the thimble.
0: I also went with the thimble. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was something that not many other people would want. Yeah, and, it saved you know. the argument. Yeah, exactly. Like, I
1: want the race car, obviously. Girls always wanted the Scotty dog. So I was just like, give me that fucking thimble, man.
0: I'm going to roll through this board. That's it. So Nakamoto has stated that work of the writing of the code for Bitcoin began in 2007. In August of 2008, he or a colleague registered the domain name Bitcoin.org and created a website at that address. In October 2008, he published a paper on the cryptography mailing list at com, describing a digital cryptocurrency titled Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. In January of 2009, he released version 0.1 of the Bitcoin software on SourceForge and launched the network by mining the genesis block of Bitcoin block number zero which had a reward of 50 bitcoins so just to give you an idea the Bitcoin back then was fractions of a penny that was the yes, value of it yeah. and as of today I think it was around 9500 bucks per coin yep,
1: about 95 9600 uh, as of today which is uh, February or I'm sorry' it's May 20th
0: that's right embedded in the coinbase transaction of this block was the text The Times January 3rd 2009 Chancellor on the brink of a second bailout for banks referring to a headline in the UK newspaper The Times published on that date. This note has been interpreted as both a timestamp of the genesis date and a derisive comment on the instability caused by fractional reserve banking. There have been several people who have been called Satoshi, but most have claimed not to be the one. In online profiles, Nakamoto claims to be now a 45-year-old man from Japan Many doubt this to be the case because of Nakamoto's ability to speak like a native English speaker and the fact that Bitcoin was not being documented or labeled in Japanese um, and kind of looking at it he in a lot of his publications he would spell the word like color yeah, with a O-U-R, U. Yeah, yeah and gray with an e So people assume that he's he's
1: probably British
0: yeah and he used the expression bloody hard one time and yes. talked about a flat so doesn't sound Japanese to me not not in the slightest. A guy by the name of Hal Finney had very strong ties to Bitcoin in the early days and even had a neighbor named Dorian Nakamoto. Finney was a pre-Bitcoin cryptographic pioneer and the first person other than Nakamoto himself to use the software, file bug reports, and make improvements. One reporter even went as far as to have Finney's handwriting compared to Nakamoto's and said it was the closest they had come across yet. The reporter, Greenberg, theorized that Finney may have been a ghostwriter on behalf of Nakamoto or that he simply used his neighbor Dorian's identity as a drop or patsy whose personal information is used to hide online exploits. However, after meeting Finney, seeing the emails between him and Nakamoto and his Bitcoin wallet's history, including the very first Bitcoin transaction from Nakamoto to him, which he forgot to pay back, mm-hmm. funny mm-hmm. enough, and hearing his denial, the reporter concluded that Finney was telling the truth. How Finney was one of the first people ever to show genuine interest in Satoshi Nakamoto's peer-to-peer cash proposal, noting... When Satoshi announced Bitcoin on the cryptography mailing list, he got a skeptical reception at best. Cryptographers have seen too many grand schemes by clueless noobs. I was more positive. He was also probably the first person other than Satoshi to run Bitcoin. He famously tweeted all the way back in January 2009 two words, running Bitcoin. Unfortunately, this was right around the time that Finney was diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And then there was the email from Satoshi to Hal Finney that read, I just thought of something. Eventually, there'll be some interest in brute force scanning Bitcoin addresses to find one with the first few characters customized to your name. Kind of like getting a phone number that spells out something. Just by chance, I have my initials. The Bitcoin address Satoshi is referring to is his own in the message, and it is 1NS and then about 30 characters after that. The first two letters being NS. There are a couple things that have sparked intrigue for Satoshi Sluice here.
1: It's Neil Sadaka from (laughs) Chicago.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For one, Japanese names are traditionally stated and written with family names first. So the guy known as Satoshi Nakamoto in the U.S. will be called Nakamoto Satoshi in Japan. However, based on Nakamoto's fluid English writing style and immaculate grammar, not to mention non-typically Japanese sleep schedule, apparently a lot of his publications would have been published in the middle of the night in Japan. Right, right. So they didn't. That was another kind of strike. Everybody against at this it.
1: point is is fairly certain that this guy isn't Japanese. Right, you know? right. Which is at the same time you're kind of like, I mean, did you did you have to go with the name Satoshi Nakamoto or whatever? <laughs> like, hey, he's real smart and Asian. That's it. <laughs>
0: There is doubt as to why the otherwise westernized Bitcoin creator would point to the initials in the Japanese order. Perhaps Finney was familiar with this aspect of the culture and writing to himself as Satoshi and let it slip out. Some think the initials stand for Nick Zabo, another early cyberpunk creator of the Bitgold forerunner to Bitcoin and contemporary of Finney who corresponded with him extensively. While this theory might point to Sabo, and not Finney, as Satoshi, some Satoshi hunters view the pseudonym creator of Bitcoin as a group project of sorts comprising of two or more actors. Hal Finney retired from the PGP Corporation in early 2011. Satoshi Nakamoto's last known email correspondence is dated April 26, 2011. Writing to developer Gavin Anderson after having effectively turned the Bitcoin project over to his leadership, Satoshi states, I wish you wouldn't keep talking about me as a mysterious, shadowy figure. The press just turns that into a pirate currency angle. Maybe instead make it about the open source project and give more credit to your development contributors. It helps to motivate them. Anderson replied informing Satoshi that he had been invited to speak at an event connected with the CIA. Nakamoto never wrote back. Bye. (laughs)
1: I'm
0: out. (laughs) Finney has also become an early adopter of a far more science fictional technology, human cryopreservation process of freezing human bodies so yeah. that they can be revived decades later or even centuries later.
1: Can you really blame the guy?
0: I mean, if you, you, know,
1: if you think you're going out or whatever and, you know, obviously going out with ALS. Mm-hmm. And uh, you hear the the stories about this guy and uh, you feel really horrible for him because he was involved in this early on. Ultimately, people found out when Bitcoin first started to really take off and was becoming globally known and, and the value of it was going up to, you know, up to like $1,000 per token. They knew that he was one of the early miners, and yep. that he had some. And so they were sending death threats to him, and they actually swatted him, like sent SWAT teams to his house or whatever I was reading about. Yeah, it was just incredibly frustrating and, wow. and uh, anxiety-inducing for him, who was just like I said, early adopter interested in the stuff, and people try to take advantage of that. Huh, so
0: so swatting is not a totally new thing. I thought it was just no. little punk ass kids it doing is it in, a the thing in the video game world. But it's, world. I mean, you
1: know, this was happening you know eight nine years ago or whatever but then yeah by the end he was like look can you imagine this okay so the guy has als at the, by the time all this stuff is really happening or whatever he's completely paralyzed yeah and can you imagine being at your house paralyzed and getting threatening emails from people saying like give us your fucking passcode to your bitcoin wallet you know we want your money and then getting a swat team raiding your house while you're sitting there and you're literally you i mean you can't even move your hands right it's yeah just horrible, it's dude.
0: terrible and then there was the guy I just mentioned, Nick Sabo. Sabo was a decentralized currency enthusiast and published a paper on BitGold, which is one of the precursors of Bitcoin. He's known to have been interested in pseudonyms in the 1990s. In a May 2011 article, Sabo stated about the Bitcoin creator Myself, Wee Day, and Hal Finney were the only people I know who liked the idea enough to pursue it to any significant extent until Nakamoto. Financial author Dominic Frisbee provides much circumstantial evidence, but, as he admits, no proof that Satoshi is Sabo. However, Sabo has denied being Satoshi. In a July 2014 email to Frisbee, he said, Thanks for letting me know. I'm afraid you got it wrong, doxing me as Satoshi. But I'm used to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, considering what we were just talking about with Hal Finney, would anybody really want to admit that they were Satoshi and then have people literally trying to kill you for your... (laughs) uh, I don't know, they're saying that he's... You know he has a significant amount of bitcoins, mm-hmm. so yeah, absolutely. can't blame anybody saying like I do. It's not me,
0: right? And then you have Craig Wright. In December 2015, two parallel investigations by Wired and Gizmodo suggested that Wright may have been the inventor of Bitcoin. Hours after Wired published their allegations, Wright's home in Gordon, South Wales, and an associate business premise in Ride, New South Wales, were raided by the Australian Federal Police. Whoa. According to the Australian Federal Police, the raid was part of the Australian Tax Office investigation. So that's a pretty good cover. There as you why go. they did it. On May second, two 2016, the BBC and The Economist published articles claiming that Wright had digitally signed messages using cryptographic keys created during the early days of Bitcoin's development. The keys are inextricably linked to blocks of Bitcoins known to have been created or mined by Satoshi Nakamoto. Wright told Finder in 2019 that Bitcoin's creation was a group effort that he drove the project and that Dave Kleeman and the previously mentioned Hal Finney were involved. The story of Dave Kleeman has a bit of a sad ending, as he died in 2013 before the value of Bitcoin really took off. In February 2018, Kleeman's estate initiated a lawsuit against Wright over the rights to over $5 billion, and that's between 550,000 and 1.2 million coins uh, worth of Bitcoin, claiming that Wright defrauded Kleeman of Bitcoin's and intellectual property rights. In August 2019, Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt, ruling on a motion to force Wright to list his early Bitcoin holdings for the purpose of the case that Cleman Estate owned half of the Bitcoin holdings that Wright mined in partnership with Cleman from 2009 to 2013, as Wright's noncompliance with the court's order is willful and in bad faith. Wright had also ordered the transfer half of the partnership's intellectual property and pay Cleman's reasonable attorney fees in bringing the motion. Reinhardt said that the court was not required to decide and would not decide whether Wright was Satoshi Nakamoto and was not required to decide and will not decide how much Bitcoin Wright controlled. Reinhardt said that Dr. Wright's demeanor did not impress me as someone who was telling the truth and he rejected Wright's testimony in the motion. Dr. Wright's story not only was not supported by other evidence in the record, it defies common sense and real-life experience. Wright registered U.S copyright in the Bitcoin white paper and the code for Bitcoin 0.1 in April 2019. A spokesman for Wright told the Financial Times that this was the first government agency recognition of Craig Wright as Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. The United States Copyright Office issued a press release clarifying that this was not the case and that the Copyright Office does not investigate whether there is probable connection between the claimant and the pseudonymous author. Many in the crypto world think Wright's claims are false and perhaps even a hoax. Mm -hmm. So Wright is actually the only one that claims he is Nakamoto, but he has his doubters for sure. And then there's a couple other theories as to who Shiitake Nakamoto is that are a little harder to believe. Mm -hmm. In 2017, an article published by Sahil Gupta espoused the possibility of Elon Musk being the real Satoshi. Based on Musk's technical expertise with financial software and history of publishing white papers.
1: Nah, that's straight up clickbait, baby.
0: <laughs> and exactly. However, in a tweet dated November eight November twenty eighth, twenty seventeen, Must denied the claim. In two thousand nine, journalist Evan Ratliff claimed drug dealer Paul LaRue could be Nakamoto. LaRue is a former programmer, former criminal cartel boss, and informant to the US Drug Enforcement Agency. In 1999, he created e4m, a free and open-source disk encryption software program for Microsoft Windows and is sometimes credited for open-source TrueCrypt, which is based on e4m's code, though he denies any involvement with TrueCrypt. He was arrested on September 26, 2012 for conspiracy to import narcotics into the United States. He subsequently admitted to arranging or participating in seven murders carried out as part of an extensive illegal business empire. LaRue is currently in U.S. custody, awaiting sentencing after agreeing to cooperate with authorities in exchange for a lesser sentence. So, pretty sure that's not Nakamoto. Probably
1: not, but that is like the world's, he's not the world's smartest drug dealer, I guess. He's the (laughs) nerdiest drug dealer. Yeah. Because if he was the smartest, he wouldn't be caught, and there are plenty of drug dealers out there that haven't been caught. But still, it's interesting. Yeah. It's more probable than Elon Musk, I would say. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. So, yeah, Wright's the guy that is the only one that claims to be. But if you read the stories, a lot of people in the crypto world. Oh, no, they hate him. They hate him. They exactly. absolutely hate he Craig He sued Wright. a bunch of people that said, you know, kind of slandered him or whatever. Yeah. He filed legal paperwork against him. to.
1: He's that guy. He is the butt end of the joke. And it usually is it's sort of uh, indicative of the situation with everybody wanting to be not or like Satoshi Nakamoto wanting to be anonymous mm-hmm. and him being like, nope, that was that was me. That was me. That was totally me. And so he's tried to make a whole career out of this, like going and, and giving speeches and stuff like that. And you know, generally, what I see is complete disdain from the uh, cryptocurrency community. Yeah,
0: and the guy Dave Kleeman, it really was a sad story. He was in the U.S. Army, he was named Soldier of the Year. Okay, um, back when he was serving, and became paralyzed. I want to say in like an ATV ac- or motorcycle accident. Okay, that's what it was. And he st- he was a cop at the time. Yeah, and still went on to become detective, and then he got into programming. And like I said, he died in like 2013, I think it was, Someday, before yeah. it really took off.
1: Well, and Hal Finney died right around that same time. Yep, yep, right in well, 14. Well, quote unquote died. Yeah. Because he's still frozen. That's right. So he could be coming back. So Hal, if you hear this like 100 years from now, I could really use some of that sweet, sweet Bitcoin. Especially those early ones that are <laughs> yeah. a
0: fraction of a penny.
1: Well, exactly. We're going to get into that too because something happened today, which is very strange. All right. Um, but- So let's get into the the main questions that people ask, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so what is Bitcoin? And Bitcoin is basically, it is a digital currency. Uh, It can be used and distributed electronically on what is known as a blockchain. Mm -hmm. It's a decentralized peer-to-peer network. No single institution or person controls it. So for a lot of people, the main advantage of Bitcoin is its inherent independence from world governments, banks, and corporations. So no authority can interfere into these uh, Bitcoin transactions. Nobody can produce more. Nobody, you know, it's, it's completely, it operates no matter what happens, you know, the world ends or something like that, or there's a nuclear uh, attack or something like that. Uh, if you can get a computer system up and running, it's nothing changes. Right. So that's why a lot of people are interested in it, especially because there is sort of a a segment of the cryptocurrency community that is like hardcore libertarian, yeah, like absolutely anti-government. And this is sort of their, uh, solution to quote unquote banking cabal. Uh, I don't necessarily buy into all this. Still, an interesting project. But like I said, th- there are some interesting characters in this whole space, to be sure. Yeah. But so, okay. So, what is blockchain? Yeah. Right? Because really, blockchain is the foundation of this entire thing. And there's like two ways to look at it. Like there's the technical way, which is like blockchain is a digital ledger used to keep track of the location of each bit uh, Bitcoin. Anyone can download a copy of that ledger, which is updated automatically as new transactions are added. Because copies of the ledger are distributed across thousands of computers, it's impossible for any one person or group to change the entries or spend the same Bitcoins twice. Digital currencies are the best known use of the technology, but companies are actually now starting to invest millions of dollars to figure out uh, other uses for it, such as keeping track of supply chain and items in the sharing economy. So the blockchain itself is separate from Bitcoin. It's the foundational technology to it, and it is going to be world changing. It definitely will at some point. We're in the very early stages of it. But like we're talking about things like supply chains yeah, and logistics yep. and stuff like that. Authentication mm-hmm. is really, really important. But so the easier explanation, if you are having trouble following along here, is imagine that you which would be what is called a node. You have a file of transactions on your computer. That file of transactions is known as a ledger. Two government accountants, let's call them miners, have the same file on theirs. Right, So mm-hmm. it's a distributed ledger. Everybody has the same information.
0: So it's like a shared Google Drive document. Exactly. Sort okay. of like
1: that. Yep. As you make a transaction, your computer sends an email to each accountant to inform them that you made the transaction. Mm-hmm. At that point, each accountant, each miner, rushes to, the, to be the first to check whether you can afford it and to be paid their salary of Bitcoins, right? Which is like the bonus thing that, that kicks out. The first to check and validate hits like reply all. And attaching their logic for verifying the transactions, which is like proof of work. And uh, the other accountant agrees. Everyone updates their file. And there you go. It's blockchain technology. Mm. So basically, like I said, you're you're just saying, hey, I made this change. Someone goes in there, does some computer work to say this change was absolutely made. Everybody shares it and it goes gets logged into this ledger. So you can go back to the very beginning of Bitcoin and see every transaction that has ever occurred. And it's what they call immutable. You Mm -hmm. cannot change it. So let's get into like the bitcoin mining aspect. Right. The mining aspect like I said is basically the work that verifies each transaction. And there was built on a system that would say okay, you know, you get rewarded for verifying transactions. So that way the system can continue
0: forward. Right. If you
1: don't get a reward for verifying transactions, you just won't do it. There's no incentive
0: to do it. Yeah, there's no incentive behind it.
1: So the Bitcoin mining, it's the mechanism for which new Bitcoins are brought into existence too. So whenever you verify it, every once in a while the new block is created. And if you verify that block as a miner, you get kicked out a certain amount of Bitcoins. Initially it was 50 Bitcoins for mining it, or, or I'm sorry, for verifying it and doing the proof of work in order to do the work a lot of people think like well you know how do you do the work it's not really like you're actually sitting there and doing the math problems yourself it involves solving a computationally difficult cryptographic puzzle similar into some ways to an enormous game of kino where the winner is determined by chance according to probability alone hmm. so that means you basically set up a computer right and you just let it go to work and then it's just a probability thing like maybe you are the one that solves it, your computer solves it Maybe somebody else solves it or whatever. But either way, everybody's working towards the same thing. So miners need specific hardware designed to solve these cryptographic mining puzzles. And they use what's called dedicated microchips. that are known as ASICs. Or you can rig together like a series of graphics processor units like GPUs, right? Which uh, they have been found to solve cryptocurrency mining puzzles. Better than traditional CPUs. Hmm. So what's interesting too is that it's at the time, like a couple of years back, when Bitcoin was really going bananas and everybody was trying to figure out how to mine. If uh, if you were a gamer, you were a very pissed off person because all these graphics cards went up in price like a ah, massive amount. Okay. So and a lot of people that were invested into that space saw this coming and were like, all of these these software companies that are making these graphic cards are going to become valuable. Yeah. So that's just another thing there. So basically, huh. you know, in the early stages, you could do it from a home computer. You know, they're talking about 2009, 2010, 2011. Nowadays, it is a complete industry. And a lot of the mining occurs in places that because it's so energy intensive. Yeah. That they intentionally create these uh, Bitcoin mining farms in places where the energy costs are lower. Yep. So China is really great. Iceland is really great Interesting. because they have their, they have a lot of renewable energy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So the, there's a cheaper cost.
0: That's one of the dings that Bitcoin catches is yes. how much electricity and how much energy it takes to do the mining. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the the setups, I mean, you're talking like warehouses full oh, of yeah. computers. It's insane. I saw some pictures yep. of a mining warehouse, yep. and it is exactly that: it is a warehouse full of computers that yep. just sit and constantly mm-hmm. process blockchain. You know? Yeah.
1: If you could have started mining. in 2009, 2010, whatever, you could have just set up it on your own computer. Mm-hmm. Like you had just left it working at home, and you could have mined a good bit. But the other interesting thing about Bitcoin itself. Uh, and we're going to get into this a little bit more in detail in a second, is that roughly every four years, the mining rewards get cut in half. Mm-hmm. So every so many blocks or whatever, when you started, if you could verify uh, a transaction and you open up that new block of Bitcoin, you got kicked out 50 Bitcoins. Well, now, just last week was the latest halving event, and we're at like 6.25 Bitcoins. Okay, So it continues to have its way down. And that sort of drives the price up because we're talking about, you know, supply and demand.
0: Well, and you're talking, I mean, that's 55 grand. Yeah, exactly. Victims, now, you know? when, you yeah. First, when you
1: first started, you get 50 uh, bitcoins. And like I said, it was fractions of a penny. Mm-hmm. The first major transaction was actually a pizza. Yeah. Uh, or it's two pizzas. Two pizzas. They were bought for 10,000 bitcoins, I believe, yep. if that's correct. Papa
0: John's pizzas. Yes. Yep.
1: And if you had held on to that 10,000 times, Roughly 10,000 Yeah, is, I mean, you're a very wealthy person for two pizzas. Yeah. It's a very interesting, weird thing to get into. But that brings us to the other question. What actually makes Bitcoin worth anything anyway? Right. Right. And the answer really is what makes anything worth anything? At what the end of the day. somebody will pay for it. Exactly. At the end of the day, it's an agreed upon value by a group of people. That's just a fundamental economics kind of thing. And right now there's a consensus among many people that Bitcoin is worth something. And so it is. Right. Yeah, yep. Uh, now, I guess the more accurate question is, what is it worth? hmm. And uh, anyways, the initial value proposition of Bitcoin was as a kind of digital currency that could be easily transferred and anonymous, which has its own advantages for various legally challenged markets.
0: Silk Road.
1: Silk Road yeah. was really, a, if you guys aren't familiar with Silk Road, it was a dark net sort of setup where people were buying drugs online. Mm-hmm. Or you could buy a lot of different things on there. Mostly it was drugs and you could buy it in Bitcoin. Which you know it didn't create a receipt, right. so that created the early stages of the market. And in the early parts of the Bitcoin history, or whatever, uh, Bitcoin was relatively cheap, and the transaction costs were significantly lower. Yep. So at that point, it worked very well as a as a currency, as sort of a dark currency. But that model has broken down a good bit over the past five or six years mm-hmm. because the transaction cost has increased. To a massive amount. The value of each coin has become huge. Uh, and so now the value proposition of it is almost the equivalent of, of what people would say. It's, it's like digital gold. It's the intrinsic scarcity of it. So there's only 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be created. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Doesn't matter. No matter what you do, there will never be more than 21 million. And so, like I said, that creates a situation where there's intrinsic scarcity. And then adding uh, on top of that, the fact like we talked about every four years or so that the actual mining output is decreased, is cut in half. So at this point, like I said, a lot of people don't view it as a currency. A lot of people are, are viewing it as a way to sort of hedge against like inflation, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like like I said, like a digital gold. And now, you know, in 2020, we're at a point where it is becoming fully accepted by uh, big names on Wall Street. So people are initially was viewed as an like a joke, like mm-hmm. it's just impossible. It's a stupid thing. I'll never forget a, a friend of ours had called me and asked me in 2011, like, uh, what do you think about this uh, bitcoin you know, should i get any and i was like fuck no <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was like it's ridiculous i was like it's a computer program how does that even make itself worth anything that's my fault i didn't have <laughs> the uh I, it was a lack of imagination on my part and that here we lack are. of
0: knowledge or really you know well what it's it was. just the concept yeah. it was so yeah. alien and yeah. so
1: you know if you're not into that sort of crypto cypherpunk world or whatever to you, you're like, what a, what a joke, dude. <laughs> like that, well, we we already have PayPal. Right. Why do I need this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, like I said, even in the past couple of weeks, guys like Paul Tudor Jones, who is a massive, massively famous, uh, trader and investor on wall street has come out and said that, you know, Bitcoin is the new gold. And it actually is going to have a uh, significantly better return than gold. Hmm. So now a lot of people that have, have laughed at it and stuff like that, are really starting to say, okay, well, this thing is serious. And my take on it is if it was going to be worthless, it would have already happened. Right. We're at a point now where there is a value to this at the end of the day, no matter which way you slice it, it's just trying to figure out what it's worth.
0: What is the value?
1: Right. And so when you had the big jump up in 2017, you saw a lot of people jumping in or whatever. And the, the question, one of the, the most popular questions you see when you go on to Google is, can I get rich overnight That's from Bitcoin? Right. <laughs> yep. And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. With the caveat that you have access to a time machine. <laughs> because <laughs> the truth is you could have gotten really rich if you had purchased in that very early stages, like 09 to 2011. And to our friend, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I'm very sorry. Yes, you could have been extremely rich. Um, but the odds of you getting rich overnight now are pretty much long gone right? It's yeah. just, uh, you can, it doesn't mean you shouldn't look at it. There's a real, there's a value to it. It appears to me that it could continue to go up, but the sort of astronomical gains, you know, where you uh can, you know, chip in a couple hundred bucks and a couple years later, like magically trade in your Honda Civic for a Lamborghini, that's not happening anymore. So sorry to break that to you right. guys.
0: Could have five years ago, you know? Yeah. I mean, like or I said, yeah. Se- seven, eight years ago, I yeah,
1: guess. Yeah. Like I said, I think, yeah, if you were getting in when they did the the pizza at Papa John's, 10,000 Bitcoins for two fucking pizzas, mm-hmm. like 30 bucks worth of pizza. Right. And now, so like I said, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't consider it though. The other question is, can I lose money in Bitcoin? And the answer to that is, fuck yes, you can lose <laughs> money in Bitcoin. You can lose a lot of money in Bitcoin. Uh, every investment vehicle has some level of risk, be it stocks, bonds, commodities, classic cars, paintings, Elvis, collectible plates, whatever, dude. And uh, investing in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin would certainly qualify as high risk to any investment advisor with a functioning brain. So if you have a low risk appetite, right, a low uh, ability to handle high volatility and the potential of losing everything, then stay the fuck away from this. Yep. Then the next question is, should I buy Bitcoin? Should I invest in Bitcoin? Let me state this very clearly. Everything that we're talking about here does not constitute investment advice, right? Please remember that. This is just informational. Don't go and take this information and make an off the cuff investment decision based on it. Get your ass handed to you and then come back and complain to us. (laughs) I'm not saying to buy Bitcoin. I'm just saying it's a very interesting subject and uh, there is potential there if you are the right type of person uh, with this investment uh, appetite, right? Or the ability to, to handle the risk of it. That being said, you may want to consider it as a very small portion of your overall investment portfolio. If, like I said, if you have a high risk tolerance, uh, if you are looking for a what's called an uncorrelated asset class as a hedge, right? Like if the stock market goes down really bad, the idea is that Bitcoin performs uh, differently. So, you know, maybe you use that uh, if an inflationary scenario takes place, then Bitcoin could very well serve you uh, down the line. Uh, and most importantly, the emotional fortitude to not panic. When it makes its usual roller coaster light price gyrations, this thing moves in like straight up roller coaster drops. Like mm-hmm. you may be uh, at one point you buy in at $9,000. It could be a week later, you're literally trading at $5,000. And then what I've seen many, many times is people buy in. And then as soon as it drops like 20, 30%, because they're not used to those types of changes in their standard, you know, equity investments, certainly in bonds or whatever. They panic and they sell. Yep. And then two weeks later, it's back up to like $9,500. Yep. And, uh, it happens all the time. In fact, even if you have no interest in, in investing or buying Bitcoin, I highly recommend going and reading some of the message boards, especially when there's really big dumps, <laughs> because people are losing their minds. They're like, and when it got really big, people were doing dumb shit like mortgaging their houses because they thought it would never end. It just is going to go up forever and ever and ever.
0: So and I think it's important to reiterate that it doesn't have any correlation to the stock market. Mm-hmm. So the stock market could be on a tear, Bitcoin could be on its usual little up and down, the yep. stock market could eat shit and Bitcoin could be raising in value just like it did yeah. back in March. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It bottomed out. Bitcoin hit a pretty low spot, uh, beginning of March, late February, yeah. beginning of March. It was interesting because
1: at that time everything was getting dumped. Yep. Uh, even the you know, the bonds were getting killed, equities were getting killed. Uh, People need a cash. Crypto, exactly, People need everybody. A cash. Yeah. In those sort of crises, you see like the correlation goes to one on almost everything. So it wasn't that surprising. But interestingly enough, it has already recovered well above and beyond yep. what the uh, stock market has done. Mm-hmm. So it is there are there is a correlation in the sense of when things go horrifically wrong, but that occurs in any investment category. Um, but yeah, it is it is crazy, dude. Yeah. So the other question is like, so maybe I do want to buy Bitcoin. How do I buy Bitcoin? And it's become a lot easier nowadays. Yeah. Uh, when it was first going on, I mean, you had to really, really be interested and had to jump through a million hoops. But nowadays you can go on to just different exchanges like Coinbase, uh, and basically you just set up an account and you put money in and you buy Bitcoin and they can store it there if you want. Uh, and uh, there you
0: go. Hell, there's Bitcoin ATMs. That's right. I wouldn't trust those. I don't know what the yeah. fuck. I think those are scams. It's weird. I had a buddy say that it. he went up and just started kind of playing with it, and it was insert money, buy Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and here's you know here's your little debit card with the money on it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I would assume I would be there's very some sort of skeptical. arbitrage
1: there in the sense that they're like, to get your money, we're going to take a percentage of oh, it. Oh, yeah. And a pretty solid chunk mm-hmm. or whatever, but- yeah, I mean it's you know it is that's the the beauty of it. That was what it was supposed to be in the first place. Was like, hey, it's easy to transact. You can send it over uh, electronic, you know, s- signals. You can do radio waves. You can do it through computers. So but that brings us to the other question: is you know how do you store your bitcoins? When you buy these bitcoins, do you buy like an electronic safe and get these bitcoins <laughs> and pour them in there? Are they a physical thing? Absolutely not. They're just computer code. Uh, and the safest way to store bitcoins, though is to use what's called cold storage. And that is basically where you store your reserve of Bitcoins offline on a paper wallet, which is, it gets a little complicated. You can kind of go in there and see how it works or whatever, they'll give you like a key and you basically get a, the equivalent of a jump drive, put them on there and then you just go put it away somewhere.
0: You literally can put it in a safe. with Yeah, with like your birth certificate and your passport. Exactly. Your and jump drive you, in there. you
1: have your key. So later on, if you need it, you just take the key and you can access the files on your uh, jump drive, and there you go. Then you transact it all you want to. What's funny is in the early days, this is how people lost their ass because people were storing tons of these on things and then forgot their keys. Oh. So there's multiple stories of people having hundreds of Bitcoins and forgetting (sighs) how to access this. Or one guy famously threw his jump drive away and then spent a lot of time going to, to like public dumps to try to see if he could find it because... There were thousands God. of bitcoins on it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In the early days, man, yeah. they were, they, they would throw, like I said, 10,000 bitcoins for two pizzas. And that was a year after the whole thing, maybe even two years after the whole thing had started. So in the early stages, people had thousands of these things. Uh, I remember this one guy was in like Sweden and he had bought some like on a whim. I think it's like five or 10 bucks worth and he forgot about it. And then it was when it first hit like a thousand dollars, he's like, Oh yeah, I, I have that. And he (laughs) pulled it up and bought an apartment in Sweden cash. There you go. Uh, and those are very expensive. Yeah.
0: Yep. Not a cheap place to live.
1: Yeah. So now the other thing too is, uh, you know, you don't have to store these offline. It's recommended just for your own security, but the, in the early days, that was pretty much your only option. Now it's, you have, like I said, Coinbase, you can store those on the exchanges. They're relatively safe, but there was a major uh, hack in a couple of them and one was like Mount Gox back in the day yep. where millions of dollars of bitcoins were stolen from people. So the security has stepped up, it's become much more efficient but you know maybe you want to not do that. Then there's of course other coins. We're talking Bitcoin. we're talking about the foundational technology of it, which is uh, like I said blockchain, but there are literally hundreds, maybe thousands yeah. of other coins at this point and so i honestly we don't have enough time in like 10 years to dive into each of these but the reality is that most of them are entirely unregulated pieces of shit mm-hmm. that
0: are designed solely to siphon off money from idiots so uh in our john mcafee episode we yes. talked about his latest coin was called epstein didn't kill himself literally that's the name of his coin yeah
1: yeah it is not difficult to create the code for a new coin now, don't get me wrong, there's some very good projects out there. I have interest in other ones like Ethereum is interesting. Um, there's uh, a couple other ones that have specific like Zcash, which is supposed to be their value proposition is that it is completely anonymous. There's no way you could ever know, you know, who's spending this cash or whatever. Um, so, you know, if you want to take the time to sort of dig into these projects and see what's going on, it's cool. But like I said, you you have to do your own due diligence and decide if like their stated goals are both realistic and attainable. And in a lot of those cases, even if they are, it doesn't mean that the token is worth anything. Right. Because what they're called is like ICOs, which is a sort of a bastardization of IPO, initial price offering, its initial coin offering. And for a lot of these companies, even good companies or good projects, they use the ICO To just raise capital, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that that coin is worth anything itself. Uh, You're just basically giving them money to say this project's interesting. But yeah, the problem is is that a lot of people get caught up into these because of FOMO. And what is FOMO? Fear of missing out. That's right. Fear of missing out. When things do, when you see a neighbor or somebody else you you know or have heard of uh, becomes rich off of something, you panic and think I need to get in this now. Mm -hmm. It should happen to me too. I should know better. And what I've seen is people that I know that it sort of start diving into the space immediately start looking at cheap coins. Right. They're just like, oh, I found this coin. It's only like $2 because they're thinking of the price action of Bitcoin. Right. Saying, well, they bought it at $2 and now it's $10,000. But it's the fundamentals behind it aren't the same. They're not going to be the yeah. same. And first of all, Bitcoin has the like the biggest name recognition. Mm-hmm. It's when people talk about cryptocurrencies on uh, you know, the news or whatever, it's always Bitcoin. It's never like
0: Stellar Lumen. Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it's uh it's just interesting to see people go in there and they they try to buy like if I buy like a hundred of these, it's two dollars. Well, it's gonna be worth like ten thousand and I can retire and be rich. Well that's fucking stupid. Yeah. So don't go there and just throw money at a bunch of shit and hope that it's going to pay off like this because this is literally like a once in a generation thing, if not even longer than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you just, like I said, if you look at the fundamentals, like let's say that you invest in shitcoin XYZ at a dollar a piece. What would it take for you to see that coin go to $10,000, right? A Bitcoin equivalent growth. Well, first we have to figure out how many shitcoins are uh, shitcoin XYZs are actually in existence. And many of these projects literally have billions of these coins. Yep. Right? Yep. Like we talked about Bitcoin itself will only have 21 million ever. Ever. And these, uh, these other coins may have billions and they are continuously creating them as well. So let's say that they have 1 billion coins and it's growing. That means that the market capitalization of uh, shitcoin XYZ is $1 billion. $1 billion coins, $1 a piece, which already puts them in the top 20 cryptocurrencies right now. Mm-hmm. So they're already sort of a developed project, right? For a Bitcoin style growth of $1 to $10,000, you would have to increase the market cap up to $10 trillion. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The entire market capitalization of gold Right now is nine trillion. Really? Yes. Yeah, so okay. shitcoin XYZ <clears throat> has to more magically become more, worth more than every ounce of gold on the planet, uh, and the odds of that happening pretty much zero. Right. Uh, the entire market capitalization, like I said, of gold is nine uh, trillion dollars. But conversely, with you have institutional investors that are coming in to Bitcoin and saying this is digital gold. We do see some value there, so they're at least starting to dip their toe into it. And if we imagine that Bitcoin itself attained Half of the market capitalization of gold, which is pretty steep order, but it's not insane. It's insane. Right. That would actually make once all 20 million Bitcoins are created, that would create a market cap. Like I said, of roughly 4.5 uh, trillion dollars. That means each individual Bitcoin could be worth uh, roughly $215,000.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: So now, again, this is all sort of back of the envelope way to calculate your investment potential uh, if you decide to get into this. But most of you probably shouldn't touch this shit with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. It's just sort of an interesting thing. And I I, I think we're at a point now where uh, we're about to see a lot more of this in the news with institutional investors getting involved. And today, there was a block of Bitcoins that were actually moved in the market for the first time since 2009. Really? It's with people speculating that maybe Satoshi had moved these. doesn't appear to be the case, but it is odd for these things to come out of like deep freeze. And uh, yeah, send everybody into an an interesting sort of like panic, like what's happening? Why are they moving these? What's what's going on? Um, So like I said, you know, even if you don't uh, really
0: want to get involved in the investment side of this, it is interesting and fun to watch. Yeah, no, Absolutely. I, uh, I, you know, I invest in Bitcoin, and every morning I wake up mm-hmm. and uh, go on my little app and yeah. check. That's like wake up, how much is my money worth today? Like you're talking about the volatility of it. It's you can't, you can't get your head wrapped around it. You just want to see. That's yeah. the thing. You just want to see where it's at. Yeah. And literally throughout the day, you can sit there and watch your portfolio balance just bounce up and down. Yeah. It's crazy. It there's really no, there's
1: nothing out there more volatile, right? At all. You know what I'm saying?
0: And, and, and you hit a, a good point. You got to be able to stomach it, and yes, and just know. That, mm-hmm. that is how it operates. Yes. You know? Yes. You
1: know? And it would just realize, be like, you're in this for the long game. A lot of people try to get in there and trade on it and stuff like that. But, um, it is, it's completely insane to watch. And I, I feel like, you know, I missed the boat early on. I thought it was absurd. Uh, a lot of people now are starting to realize like this thing is pretty much here to stay. It just depends on what that means. So, uh, you know, if you guys, uh, have any thoughts or questions on Bitcoin, uh, man, we'd love to hear them. We're not going to do investment uh, shows all the time, but we just thought this was kind of an interesting thing to get into uh, this
0: week. It's young. It's hip. It is, It's man. Noah's Arcade. <laughs> it, it's cool. It's hip. It's Noah's Arcade. That's it. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. We hope you guys enjoy the show. If you like what we do, tell people you know to tune in as well. The support is much appreciated. You know where to find us on all your favorite podcast platforms at AHC Podcast. Tune in next week for our next edition of Asshole Court. Stay safe out there, and we hope you learned something. Until next time, this is Asshole Court.